In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will continue our study in the book of Second Samuel. Today we're actually last chapter, chapter 24. And chapter 24 is actually quite interesting. Before we go to chapter 24, I just want to remind you a couple of things. Chapter 22 and 23, it almost seemed like David was finishing up his life. He praised God. He spoke about how God worked in his life. We started to talk about the mighty men that served with David. You almost feel like he's concluding his life in peace. And he learned his lessons. He's a repentant man. Few few days and he's gone. Chapter 24 begin, it begin, it explains another mistake that David fell into. And it's the last chapter in 2 Samuel. It's almost like you feel like 2 Samuel ended abruptly. It would have been nice if it ended with the death of David, for example. But the scripture wants to focus on an important aspect. That not because I grew in my relationship with God, I am immune to sin. And actually, it's quite the opposite. Sometimes when people come to the faith new, they're zealous, they're willing to learn, they're more obedient, and they're more willing to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. But as time goes on, they become hardened, and they feel like as if they know everything. And anything new they hear, it does not touch them. And they become disobedient to the Spirit, to the point that some of the things that the Spirit points to them at, knowing that this is the voice of God, they reject it, they become negligent, and later on in life, they look back and be like, wow, we have missed many opportunities to please God. And not only this, they might hear about people who became holy and saintly because they obeyed the voice of God. They did what we were supposed to do. For the way the second Samuel ends is to keep us aware that until the last breath, I am required to stay faithful. Until the last breath, David the prophet, after he preached and praised and prophesied and all the works he has done, now at the end of his life, he's going to make another mistake. But his mistake today is a little bit of a tricky one. So we're going to go through it quick, uh, sl slowly. It says, again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And he moved David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. If you look at the same exact story in First Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1, it says, Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people. So one account here, it says that God moved David the second one, it says that the devil himself in First Chronicle 
almost appeared in front of God, just like the story of Job, and asked for a permission to tempt David. If you guys remember, the concept of a message of Satan is not foreign in the scripture. You see this in 2 Corinthians 12:7, And St. Paul says, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in my flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. So what is Paul saying? He says, that disease that's happening in my life, yes, it's humbling me, it's a permission from God, but it's a permission to treat a sin that I have, to treat a disease that I have. There is a, one of the inaudible prayer in the, in the liturgy. We tell God, God remove from us all the work of the devil that's, that was implanted in us after the fall. For what's happening is God saw that the spirituality of Israel is weak. And the spirituality of David is also weak. So God did not protect him. What does that mean? When temptation comes to us, you and me cannot fight it. Nothing. We are so weak in front of temptation. How do you fight it? The Bible says that the, the, the war is, to the, is for the Lord. So who's fighting? The Lord. So how do I get God to fight on my behalf? is by being repentant and walking with him. So he can fight for me and takes care of any temptation that comes along my way. David the prophet, at this point, spiritually at the end of his life, spiritually became weak. Spiritually became weak. For God allowed him, allowed this temptation to come and penetrate his heart and did not protect him from it because he was not walking with God. That's why it's important when people say, I'm able to fight temptations. No, you're not. The only way you can fight temptation is to walk with God. That's the only way you can fight temptation. This is David here. He's fighting temptation. He's, he's, he, he, he lived a life where at this point he's far away from God. God did not protect him from a temptation that's going to come to him. And now he's going to cause a big problem. So the weaknesses of the life of David was not only his life, but also all the people of Israel. So what did David do? So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Now go throughout all the tribes of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, and count the people that I may know the number of the people. So what does David want to do? David wants to know how many soldiers he has. What's, how big his army is. That's basically what David wants to know. Why does David need to know that number? Is he going to a war? No, he's not. Does he need to build a new city to see what's happening? No. David wants to know this number purely for his own ego, for his own pride, for his own satisfaction. You know, it's like, for example, when you make a post on social media and every two minutes you, you want to check how many people commented, how many people like it. How, why are you so obsessed with that? Because I'm so obsessed with 
how great I am and how people respond to me and how people treat me. By the way, in the scripture, requiring senses sometimes was a, a divine order from God. For example, in the book of Numbers, chapter 1, verse 2 to 3, our Lord ordered people to take senses and to know how many people are there. But usually, God orders to know the numbers to show the opposite, to show that he likes to work with a small number. Not with the big number. He doesn't like to show big force. And when we were reading the, the book of First Samuel and Second Samuel, we saw many, many battles that were won by a couple of warriors, by a couple of people who made courageous action, including David himself defeating Goliath. So there's really no need for him to count the people. He wants to do this at the end of his life for his own glory, for his own glory. Obviously, the request to count the people is, a wasted, is going to waste a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of resources. Look what Joab said. And Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times more than there are. And may the eyes of my Lord the king see it. But why does my Lord the king desire this thing? You know, Joab himself, you know, Joab was a, was a tricky person because sometimes he would be good. But most of the time he wasn't really positive. Today he was positive. He's a good, today he's acting in a good way. Today he's telling David, okay, you know, you want to count, may God increase the people a hundred times, a thousand times, and you give you long, he long health and long life so that you can see the numbers of the people. But he's asking him, why? Why you want to do it? And you know, a lot of times, to get down to our true motives, we must ask the question why multiple times. Only then we can get down to our, our, our core motives. David, the prophet at this time, he was so blinded by his desire that he did not realize that he was making a mistake. You know, C.S. Lewis has something beautiful. He said once, he says, those who have no need of repentance know how to repent the best. Those who do not need repentance know how to repent the best. But those who feel like everything is okay, they are the farthest away from God. The farthest away from God. Joab, if you guys remember, Joab is the leader of the commander. David could not stand against Joab multiple times. Look what happened today. Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the army. Not only Joab, but also the captains of the army are against it. He's out of his mind. He's doing something that his army does not want it. Therefore, Joab and the captains of the army went out from the presence of the king to count the people of Israel. A lot of times when you and me respond in anger and frustration, a lot of the times it means because we don't have good reason for it. David here, he does not have good reason. And people tell him why. He doesn't know how to say why. So he starts yelling and screaming out of anger. 
That's why it's important when I find myself losing it, I feel like I have to think about what is it that I'm trying to hide? And it's not because David prevailed, it means that his request was correct. And it means he has convincing answer. Many times God would allow the evil to prevail for a time. For David yelled at, the, at, at his soldiers when Joab committed crimes and killed David's son, David could not remove Joab. That his pride today was so strong that he overcame his soldier. This is at the end of his life. We're not talking about David when he's young. So what happened? Now the soldiers and they crossed over the Jordan and camped in Aurora and at, on the right side of the town which is in the midst of Revan of Gad and toward Jazar. Then they came to Gilead and to the land of Tahtim, Hodeshai. They came to Dan, Yan, and around to Sadon. And they came to the stronghold of Tyre and all the city of the Hivites and the Canaanites. And they went out to the south, Judah, as far as Beersheba. Uh, so when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. So they started... They want to count how many people, so how would they do it? They're going to have the soldiers, the army, go by every city, by every tribe. So they started from the tribe of Reuben, then the tribe of Gad, then kept going, going all the way until they came all the way toward the, no, no, the north. Ended with Beersheba. How long did this process take? Nine months and 20 days. That's a pretty long time. And David is in La La Land. If you guys remember, when David committed the sin against Bathsheba, and he committed adultery, how long did it take for him to wake up? Or when did the prophet came to wake him up? It was right after the birth of his first son that was dead right away. It was about nine months and 20 days. After his son was born, a few days, the prophet came to him. Reminds us, of David's earlier mistake. During a period of nine months, David did not feel guilty, did not feel I did something wrong. His heart was not moved. And you know what's, what's, what's the problem now I see? That seems like a lot of people in our life tend to be complacent. And actually, this is one of the things that um, I actually like about uh, uh, Martin, Luther, uh, Martin Luther King, that he said one of the biggest problems that people have, they are complacent. They see the wrong happening in front of their own eyes and they do nothing. All the captains, all the soldiers know what David is doing is wrong. All your friends might be knowing, know what you're doing is wrong. They know what, what is being taught in the school is wrong. But people are complacent. People are complacent. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to the king after the nine months. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew sword. And men of Judah were 500,000 men. How many? 
800,000 for Israel, 500,000 for Judah. It's, by the way, amazing how the scripture recorded the number for the two different groups. Why? Because right after David, Solomon is going to come. After Solomon, those two groups will fight, and you're going to have two separate kingdoms. So when they came back to the number, they told him, you have almost an army worth of 1.3 million people. That's a humongous army. I don't even know if we have that army in the U.S. that size today. It's a really big army. Okay? So, he's happy with the number. He's now walking around and says, I have 1.3 people who can fight any time. He's taking comfort in how much the money he has in his bank accounts and how much people give him attention. That's his comfort. He's counting the wrong things. You know, the scripture teaches us to count the mercies of God. To count our days that I may be prepared. To count my mistakes that I may repent. Some people like to count the worldly things. How many looks, how many views, how many attentions, how many success, how many promotions, how many, how many, how many. That's what their mind is. Keep in mind that, yes, I just want to emphasize this idea because of the section that we're coming to. Keep in mind that David sinned, but also this big punishment is happening not only because of David, but because of the people as well. That's the first verse. And St. Gergi says, people are punished for the sin of their leader because the heart of the rulers are disposed according to the merits of their people. So what does that mean? It means like when you hang out with your friends, you know what makes them happy. So all of us like to be accepted and like to be happy. So I have a tendency to please my friends. So that's why it's very important. We always say make sure you have the right environment, you have the right group of friends and so on. So David here, he is tr he's doing this, but partially it's something that's in the people's heart. They want to know that they are a great nation and powerful nation and they can defeat anybody. We're like the Egyptian, the Assyrian, the Babylonian. But since when God of Israel works this way, God of Israel actually wants you to be weak so you can depend on him. After nine months and 20 days, look verse 10. And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquities of your servants, for I have done very foolishly. What happened is when David got the number, did it give him satisfaction? No, it did not. After all this effort, he says, wow, I got nothing. You know, somebody will chase a sin for a long time, and after he get, enjoys the sin, he feels empty. And he feels depressed, and he feels down. And in a vicious cycle. And now I don't know if my mental health is okay, and I don't know if this is okay, and if I don't know if this is okay. And David after nine months and 20 days, 
realized that he did something wrong. But you know what? I want to tell you something that David did that was very, very important. When David felt that he did something wrong, he did not try to find some people to convince him otherwise. Let's be very clear about this. David did not try to go and go, to, go talk to his, his counselors, be like, do you think what I did is wrong? What do you guys think? It was counting the people wrong. A lot of times you might do something and your heart rebukes you. But if you share it with other people, they might say it's not a big deal. I mean, at the end of the day, you're a king. Yeah, it's good to know the numbers. It's a nice thing to do. It's a good thing to do and all that stuff. But your heart rebukes you. God spoke to you. He moved your heart and you felt guilty. But you want to get comfort from people. David did not do this. David did not do this. David went and accepted responsibility and he prayed in front of God and he repented and he asked God to forgive him. And he told God, I have done very foolishly. He's accepting the responsibility. Look, verse 11, what does it say? Now when David arose in the morning, it means that David prayed at night, went to sleep in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad. That's why it's an indication, because some scholars, they say, oh, this chapter was not at the end of his life. Prophet Gad was at the end of the life of David. The prophet Gad, David's seer saying, Go and tell David, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself that I may do it to you. So David said, I am responsible. I have made a mistake. And God didn't say, okay, I'm glad you committed your, I'm glad you admitted your mistake. There's no consequence. This is not what happened. God said, okay, you made a mistake. Now I'm going to make you choose what is the consequence. Why is that? Because remember, the issue is not only David. The issue is all the people of Israel. Sometimes the tribulation that I get is not only for me, but for everybody around me. So we have to be open. Our eyes are open to what's happening around us. The second thing here, keep in mind, even though David is old, it's the end of his life. And David is a prophet. And he wrote 150 songs. Sorry, he wrote most of the psalms. And he organized the worship and all these beautiful things that David did. But they, God did not speak to David directly. When David committed a sin, every time there was a mediator, every time there was a prophet who went and told David, this is what God is telling you. No matter how much you grow in your spiritual life, we need our spiritual fathers. We need our fathers of confessions. But here in the life of David, we see that until the last day of his life, the presence of his spiritual father is still there. So God came to David and told him, and he said to him, you have three choices, so David has to choose. You know, remember, before we go, remember the first time when David sinned, God did not give him a choice. 
This is me personally. I think the first time when David sinned, David did not realize his, his sin. It took uh, Jonathan to go to him. Uh, so it took Nathan to go to him and tell him. He, he told him a story about the field and all this, all this nice story that we all know. And then late, after that, David admitted his mistake here because David was moved by his own heart early on. So God now is kind of telling him, you know, I'm going to work with you on the, on the punishment. So you have three options. What are the options? Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land? Or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or there shall be three days plague in your land? Now consider and see what answer I should take back to him who sent me. So what's happening here? David counted the army. He has 1.3 million people. Wow, such a strong, powerful country now. God is telling him, you think you're powerful? Okay. I'm gonna take whatever you think you took pride in and just deplete it in front of your own eyes. You have three options. Slow death, famines for seven years, you know, medium death, you run away from your, your enemy for three months, or quick death like a plague. And I, I'll tell you guys something, to be honest with you. Right before COVID happens, I remember I had this conversation with somebody, and I, was, I told them, like, because we live in the U.S., we're very sheltered from a lot of the news that happens in the world. Even our news media doesn't even talk about the world. All what they talk about is just what's happening in the U.S. And, you know, like, for anybody to attack the U.S. will be just out of their mind. So the U.S. feels always very strong as a country. And we don't really feel vulnerable that much. And it was very impressive that when COVID came, a little virus within a few months changed how everybody lives. That's how vulnerable the strongest nation in the world can be. For David has to choose. Look, because David repented. He could have said, well, give me option two. I want an enemy to come and attack me and run from him. I have 1.3 million people that we can destroy any enemy that comes. But because David repented, he did not make that choice. What choice did he make? And David said to God, to God I am in great distress. And then what principle did David use? He says, please let us fall into the hands of the Lord for his mercies are great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. See the beautiful principle? He told him, look, if I, if I get famine or if I get an army, now if I have a famine, that means I have to go to neighbor country and ask them for food and ask them for supplies. I'm going to start depending on another human being. And if I'm running away from an enemy, then I'm going to have to try, try to make peace with them. and all. I'm just depending on another human being. The plague is just me and God. Tell them, it is better to fall in the hands of the Lord. Why? For his mercies are great. Psalm 40 verse 11 says, Do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and, your tr and truth continually preserve me. It is wonderful when David is repentant. He can make so many good decisions. 
And he chose the right decision because God told him three days plague. He's not going to even continue for three days. We'll see what happens. But so far, I just want to, before we go on, I just want to review it quickly. So God had a plan for all of this to happen from the beginning. He knew that people are spiritually weak. He allowed David to make that mistake. So he can bring all of the nation of Israel back to him in repentance. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from the morning till the appointed time. From Dan to Bathsheba, 70,000 men of the people died. And the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it. The Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, It is enough. Now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Ari Noah, the Jubites. So the plague came and 70,000 people died. I want to read the same part of the story from First Chronicle chapter 21, 16. Look what it says, because it adds another flavor to it. It says, Then David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, having in his hands a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. So David and the elders clothed them in sackcloth and fell on their faces. And David said to God, Was it not I who commanded the people to be numbered? Am I the one who has sinned and done evil indeed? But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, O Lord my God, be against me and my father's house, but not against your people that they should be plagued. What did David do? David saw the angel coming, approaching Jerusalem. So the plague hit everybody outside Jerusalem, was coming to Jerusalem. David saw the angel coming. Him and the elders started wearing sackcloth and he told the angel, look told God, look, I sinned, not them. I deserve punishment, not them. Punish me and my family, but don't punish them. Wow. Who would say that? Who would say that? One of the story of, of the Western saints that she saw somebody who was very sick and she asked God to lift, alleviate that sick, sickness from that person and give it to them because that person had family obligations and they don't. He's acting as a true shepherd of the people of God true shepherd of the people of God. David knows how to open the heart of God by humility, by loving your neighbor. That's how he opened the heart of God. Historically, some people believed because God did not punish Jerusalem in that events, and later on, when the Syrian army came to surround Jerusalem to destroy it, and they were also in the time of Sanharib the king, so people believed that Jerusalem will never be destroyed. And later on, the people of Israel continued to sin so much, thinking they are safe. But they forgot 
that this is all the temple and everything is there for them to come back to God. When the Bible says the Lord relented from the destruction, I want to give you a simple concept about the feelings of God that are mentioned in the Bible that would help you to kind of go through them. Theologically, we always say God is simple. You cannot add any emotion for him or to him. You cannot take any emotion from him. There's nothing that surprises him. All is happening in front of him. So when it says God relented, it says the, the wrath of God. In the Psalm 2, it says God laughed. These are all feelings that are happening in the heart of the believers and respond to the action at the moment. Like God wants to convey a certain idea to the believer of what's happening. So this is the feeling that's happening in their heart. Feeling that's happening in the heart is that God no longer wants to destroy us. That God felt bad for what he did for us. Okay? So the feeling is, it's not because God felt bad, because God is a, is a just judge. And it's not because God is responding to a feeling that happened at the moment. But in the heart and the mind of the believer who are us who live within time, the Bible wants us to understand and convey to us the closest thing we can understand is how God would react in our own eyes, in our own understanding, in our own limitation of time. So this is the mind of David thinking how God felt in heaven in response to his prayer, in response to his work. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Surely I have sinned. Again, he's repenting in. I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hands, I pray, be against me and my, against my father's house. Again, David standing with so much courage, fighting for the people of God. Fighting for the people of God. I think it's, um, it's worth some time we as people who are responsible, with our parents, with our servants, with our brothers or sisters or uncles, that sometime we stand in that place and say, I had a responsibility and I didn't do it. Not them, me. St. Isaac the Syrian talked about the merciful heart. And he said it's the heart that is burning for the sake of the entire creation. For men, for birds, for animals, for beasts, and for every created things. And by the recollection and the sight of them, the eyes of the merciful man pours forth abundant tears. For the strong and fervent mystery, mercy which grabs his heart and from his great compassion. His heart is humbled. And he cannot bear to hear or see any injury or the slightest sorrow in creation. For this reason, he offers up tearful prayer continually, even for the irritational beast, for the enemies of the truth, and for those who harm him, that they be protected and receive mercy. This is the merciful and compassionate heart. How many people can say, I deserve punishments? It's so easy to say, I deserve good things, I deserve good grades, I deserve the promotion. How many people say, I deserve punishment? 
very few. And God came, this is the prophet, that day to David and said to him, Go up and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arona the Jubite. So David, according to the word of God, went up as the Lord commanded. Where does God want him to build the altar? In the place where he prayed. In the place where he cried out to God and told him, I made a mistake. By the way, the, the, the threshing floor, just so you guys know, it's always on a small hill and it's always a little bit a higher place because this is, as I've told you before, when they make the wheat, they step on it and they put it on a higher place. So when the wind comes, it takes all the shell away. And what's left is the harvest, is the wheat. But always the threshing floor is always at a higher place. But God told him, because of your prayer, I stopped the plagues. So David was right. It is better to fall in the hands of the Lord. Three days were not done. Jerusalem was not punished. And then God told him, you know that place where you prayed? And you said that beautiful, beautiful prayer? I want an altar. This place is special for me. Because in it, you remind me of the sacrifice of Christ on behalf of his own people. So he went to this guy, now to Arunah, looked and saw the, by the way, this guy is not Jewish, and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. So Arunah went out and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. And Arunah said, why has my, the Lord king came to his servants? And David said, to buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, the plague may be with, withdrawn from the people. So obviously, when Arunai saw the king coming, he was very worried, why is the king coming to me? So he came, and he offered him a lot of respect, and he told him, why are you coming? He told him, I'm coming here to build an altar to the Lord. By the way, some people say, this is the site of the, of the temple of Solomon afterwards. This was one of, this land was included in the temple of Solomon. Think about it this way. There's a plague. The prices of everything is very expensive. Now the king is coming to this guy to buy his land and buy his stuff so he cannot really bargain with the king. So Arunai said to David, let my lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look, here are the oxen for burnt sacrifice, the threshing uh, implements and the yokes of the oxen for woods and all these. The king, O king, Arunai has given to the king. And Arunai said to the king, may the Lord God keep you, may the Lord your God accept you. So what's happening here? When, Arunai, when the David told Arunai, I'm building an altar, he told him, look, everything for the altar is ready. It's almost like God prepared everything for him. The ox, the sheep, the wood, everything. But it looks like that David looked so broken. And his tears was on his eyes. To the point that this man who is like not Jewish, told him, may the Lord your God accept you. It's almost like felt like David was telling him, please, I want God to accept me. Please, I want God to accept me. So that foreigner guy felt it. And he told him, may God accept you. 
the, the, the open heart with great humility is coming to the king, asking, it is, it's, it's coming from the heart of the king that even a foreigner can see it. Then the king said to Aruna, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offering to the Lord my God with that which cost me nothing. So David brought the threshing floor and the ox for 50 shekels of silver. Obviously, David refused to take it for free, even though as a king he could have, because he said, I cannot offer to God things for free. What does that mean? Sometimes people become so, so generous with other people's stuff. But their own stuff, they're so cheap with. Okay? We're looking for somebody to help with this. Yes, Abuna, I know somebody can do it. Right? We can easily volunteer others. can easily f take my, uh, my family stuff or my sister's stuff or my uncle's stuff. Find my own stuff, I want to hold on to it. He says, no, I will not. I will not present to God something for free. I have to pay for it. I have to invest in it. So David, I, and by the way, there is no, the, the price that David gave him, there is no mention in the scripture that this was unfair price. It seems that this was a, a very reasonable price for the lands and the threshing floor. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offering and peace offering. So the Lord heeded the prayer for the lands and the plague was with, withdrawn from Israel. Once David offered the peace offering and the sin offering, the forgiveness of sin was completed and then God hath carried and removed away the plagues and life went back to normal. Life went back to normal, to what was before the plague. It is truly wonderful that this is how the book of Second Samuel ends. It reminds us that nobody is too big for sin. Even a prophet Somebody who experienced miracles. Somebody who God used him in mighty ways. That all of the people were talking about him. Can fall in a trap at the end of his life. Because he was not aware and awake for his own spirituality. David the prophet, just the final word on David the prophet. David the prophet probably is one character in the scripture that consumed the most number of chapters in the Bible. About maybe 40 chapters on David the prophet. Not only because all the Psalms he put together, not only because he was the first king in Israel that was according to the heart of God, not only because David the prophet was one of the people that repented and always would go back to God. And he lived a life that resembles all of our lives. A life where we are falling and getting up and falling and getting up. But David the prophet in so many ways points to our Lord Jesus Christ. And a lot of his psalms and a lot of his work points to the salvific work that will happen on the hands of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's really important because all of us can point to the work of God in the world if we live a repentant life. If we live a repentant life. 
And David the Prophet is somebody that we can all relate to. We can all learn from, from all his life until now. All the falling, all the standing, all the repentance, all the guidance, all the wars, all the struggles, all the failing, all the promises that he received and all the promises that he did not receive, everything. It's a resemblance of our life. We can completely relate to him. May God give us to live a life that is worthy uh, of his call to us and glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Just quickly before we turn